Good morning. Hey, let's open our Bibles to uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. And let's read just the first 19 verses. It says in Matthew 11, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison on in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I say to you, and more than a prophet, for he is he, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And Jesus goes on and says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not been risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who was least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We have played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourn to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber. A friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. Father, we just thank you for this chapter, and we pray, Lord, that you would have your way in us today, Lord. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Obviously, this chapter is about John the Baptist predominantly, and it records an event where John had been imprisoned, and we'll look at the reason why he was imprisoned. But he was imprisoned, and John knew from his very birth, and we'll look at this too, he knew that from his miraculous birth, from his mother and his father, Zechariah and Elizabeth, that God had a plan for his life. And in fact, the prophets had foretold hundreds of years prior to his birth the things that he would accomplish. And the amazing thing is, is that John the Baptist's ministry was a short one. It wasn't a long one. And so finally, when he gets put in jail by Herod Antipas, he's obviously very confused because he knew what he came to accomplish, and he was faithful at it until he was imprisoned. 
But while he's there, he's questioning, he's wondering, did I miss something, Lord? Did I miss something? You know, I just feel like I just got started. I'm on fire, and, and now it's like the flame is being put out. Have you ever felt that way when, you know, things are going really well, and, and you, you, you feel like you're on this crescendo moving towards something, and something happens that just takes the rug out from underneath you? Anybody have that happen in life? Most of us, right? Well, that happened to John. But John was a faithful man. He was a man filled with faith. He was filled with the Spirit of God, excited about the things of God, excited about being a herald for Christ, for his cousin, Jesus. His cousin. How many cousins do you know that, that, that always walked in such a way where you could look back on their life and go, you know, they really could be God. No, most of us would say, no, I remember my cousin. Remember that time that you did that? Oh, yeah, and remember, yeah, you remember that. And you remember we had to bail you out of jail for that one? Most of us have stories like that. But John, once it was revealed to him that it was Jesus whom he was to herald and to speak of, he knew in his heart, you know, that makes sense now. I've never seen him do anything wrong. From his very beginning, all of our growing up, you know, the times that we went to Jerusalem together with the whole big family making that caravan down to, to Jerusalem, I never once saw, heard him talk about his mom and dad in a negative way. He was always helpful. He was, you know, always doing things to help others. And I never, you know, wow, that's amazing. And then finally God reveals it to him. And then do you think that man would have done what he did, John the Baptist, if he knew that his cousin, Jesus, had sinned? Do you think he would give up his life for his cousin if he knew that he was a, you know, a criminal doing things behind people's back? Nobody would do that. Jesus claimed that he was the Messiah. That means he's equal with God the Father. John knew that, and John gave his life for that truth. And he knew more than anybody that this is him who, said, who he said he was. But now John is there in prison. He just got started, it seems, and now he's in prison. He's wondering. He's frustrated. And he has to come. So, you know, yeah, uh, Jesus has to send two disciples, you know, or John sends two disciples to Jesus first and say, are you the Messiah? Because there's some, there's some things that aren't quite right here. I don't understand I don't understand your agenda, Jesus. I love you, and I know you're the Son of God. I know you're the Messiah, but here I am. And, and there was so much in the Word of God. Malachi prophesied. Isaiah prophesied of the things that I'm doing. And, and now this, a conundrum. And let me suggest to you this morning that it really wasn't a lack of faith on John the Baptist's part, but rather a misunderstanding of Jesus' agenda. And most people had a misunderstanding of what Jesus was going to do. Many thought that he was going to come and rid the, 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 the area of Israel from the, the Roman occupation, set up his kingdom, vanquish his enemies. And that sounds really good, doesn't it? But that's not what he came to do. Not yet. When he comes back in his second coming, oh yeah, there's going to be you-know-what to pay. But his first advent was to seek and to save the lost. And that's what he came to do. He came to seek and to save the lost. And so John is very discouraged and, and very um, confused about what is happening. Let's go back to verse 1 now. 
Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there and, uh, to teach and to preach in their cities. The events recorded in this chapter, and specifically verse 2 down through the end, actually took place chronologically much earlier in Jesus' ministry. And even before that, even, uh, G, uh, John the Baptist had been arrested by Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas, yes. Do you remember Herod the Great, who was Herod Antipas's father? Herod the Great died in 4 BC. He was the one who, um, who tried to destroy Jesus, remember, when he had the guards go through uh, uh, Bethlehem and these other areas to destroy any kids that are two years old and under? Remember, that was Herod the Great. Well, when he finally dies in 4 BC, his kingdom is divided into at least three parts where his sons, Archelaus and Philip and Antipas, they take over the the area of of Israel. And you can see in the, um, oops, excuse me, you can see on this uh, slide that's before you, Antipas, this was his uh, jurisdiction, this whole area to the east of the Jordan River and up here around Galilee. And... um, and so the, the area was divided between his three sons, and Antipas's jurisdiction was, as we saw here, he reigned from about 4 B.C. to 39 A.D., and it was this Herod, this Herod Antipas, that arrested and ultimately killed John the Baptist. In fact, in Luke chapter 3, just backing up here to get the, the order of things, This is when he was arrested. In Luke chapter 3, it tells us that Herod the Tetrarch, meaning Herod Antipas, being rebuked by him, speaking of John the Baptist, concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all, that he shut John up in prison. So Herod Antipas married his his brother Philip, his wife, Herodias, unlawfully. And so they're living in sin, married under very questionable circumstances. But why was John the Baptist arrested? Well, we got a hint of it just there in, in, uh, in Luke's gospel, but it also tells us in Matthew that Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. And why? Because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So publicly, John had rebuked Herod for this unlawful marriage to his sister-in-law, Herodias. And Herodias had a daughter. The Bible doesn't tell us her name, but history tells us. Her name was Salome. And she was the one that we'll find later on danced before Herod in a seductive sexual dance with Herod and all of his men around. And so Herod, after being publicly ridiculed by John, he did what people still do today. He canceled him. (laughs) <laughs> he shut him up, literally. And so Joseph, the, uh, Josephus, excuse me, the Jewish, I can't even speak this morning. I don't know, why, maybe I didn't have enough coffee. Uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote in his Antiquities of the Jews, for those of you who are curious, 18.5.2, you can go read that. John was in, it tells us that John was imprisoned at this Herod's desert fortress and palace at Mercurius. Mercurius. It's on the east side of the Jordan River. And this fortress 
was uh, the easternmost fortress of Herod, and it uh, allowed them to look out for invaders coming in from the east. And so this is where Herod had, Herod Antipas had this, not only John in prison, but also the place where he had that, where Salome gave that dance before Herod and a bunch of his magistrates. And, and so th- this is a, 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 what do you want to call it, a... Yes, an artist's rendering archaeologically of what, they, what they've seen in that area. So it was in this area where the columns are that they probably had everybody there, and that's where Salome did her dance, and that's where ultimately Herod says, go fetch John the Baptist's head. And they went the, and the executioner went and cut off his head, brought it back on a platter. You know, what a great side dish. And, and brings it to the, the girl, and she gives it to her mother. That's where it all happened. (laughs) And so, it would be later, after the events of this chapter that we're going to read, that we've already looked at, after that would be when he would be beheaded by Antipas. But verse 2 takes us back while John was still in this prison in Mercurius. So it says, And when John heard in prison about, his, about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. So even though John was in prison, he was evidently able to still receive guests. He wanted to hear what was going on and what the Lord was doing and how he was working. And no doubt he was thinking and praying and trying to put the pieces together, as I said before, and encouraging himself that, you know, that what he was doing was the right thing. Have I wasted my life on this Jesus? He knows he didn't, but he's confused. And, and, and John's ministry, like I said before, didn't last long, but it was effective, and it accomplished what the Lord wanted to accomplish in his life. And you know, that's something to be careful of. You know, as we serve in whatever ministries, most people think that it's, you know, when you get into ministry, sometimes it is a lifelong thing that you do, and it, but, but sometimes it's just for a season. You know, not every ministry is a, is a career choice. You know, where you do it until you retire. No, uh, you know, sometimes things are different. And so John had to come to that reality. But he said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? The coming one was a messianic title. So underline that phrase, the coming one. In the Psalms, it mentions about the one who was coming, the coming one. And it's speaking of who? Jesus, exactly. And so, are you the coming one, or should we be looking for somebody else? And so, um, no doubt John was discouraged. He didn't understand Jesus' agenda. And the devil, no doubt, was playing with his head and telling him that he had wasted his life, serving and pointing everyone to Christ. And so, while this physical and spiritual stress that John was experiencing, he needed some encouragement. Do you need encouragement today? I need encouragement just to keep my head on straight. Things are happening so crazily today. I need encouragement. And the greatest encouragement is from the Word of God. That's the best place to find encouragement, is in the Scripture. That is the cleanser of your heart and your life. As you read the Bible, it is a cleanser, it's a healer. And it's truth. It's the only truth that you can read today. 
the only real truth with no guile behind it. There's no hidden agenda in the background. No, everything is very plain. And see, that's what's wonderful about God, wonderful about Jesus. He tells us in advance what's coming. And things are happening right according to plan, but sometimes it takes us by surprise. And John was taken by surprise. But have you needed encouragement over the last few years? Has your life maybe not turned out the way you wanted it to be? Are you concerned or worried about your health and the health of those that you love? Are you concerned about your finances and the direction our country is going? We certainly ought to be concerned. However, are you fearful? We don't need to be fearful, right? Matthew 10, Jesus says, Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not that shall not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. All things are going to come out in the open eventually. And then in verse 28, he goes on, he says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And there's only one who can do that, and that's God himself. Much rather fear him than anybody who can take my physical life because when I die, when I uh, have my last breath, I know that I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus. And you too, if you're a believer. So who do I fear more? What man can do? I mean, nobody looks forward to dying physically, right? I mean, I'm not looking forward to the process. I've said this before, but I'm hoping that one night I'm just, you know, after Thanksgiving meal and and the Cowboys have won you know, the football game, that I can go to bed and my, my stomach full of uh, turkey and pie and dressing and ice cream, that I just, and I wake up in heaven. I'd prefer to go that way than to languish in a bed for several years, dying of a cancer or being eaten by a great white shark. It's hard to do when I'm not in the water, but, you know, it is New York. But Jesus is here for us today just as he was for John the Baptist. And the word of God encourages us in many things, doesn't it? It tells us who we are. It tells us of our fallen state. Excuse me. It tells us who Jesus is and how he has given his life a ransom for us that we might be saved. The word of God also shows us things to come that we won't be afraid. And the Bible tells us what our eternal reward is if we are in Christ Jesus. And John needed some encouragement at this time, and it seemed that he was struggling. A lack of understanding, but not unbelief, I believe, because they're not the same thing. I can still be faithful, but maybe lack understanding. And there's a difference between the two of them. John was just lacking in understanding. But I believe this passage that we have before us here this morning is given to us for at least two reasons. Number one, to show God's love and encouragement for John and to his own, speaking not only of the Jews, but to also all of us who are Christians. But number two, to again, to again show further proof that Jesus is who he and the scriptures says that he is and was. And you may be saying, why is that? (laughs) Well, we're going to see Jesus affirming who he was through the scripture to let John know that his ministry, his life, his imprisonment was not in vain. I like that. Jesus answered, verse 4, and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Underline that phrase, hear and see, because notice the order here. It's so important. 
Jesus didn't say, go and tell John the things which you see and hear, but rather go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Why am I making a big deal out of that? Because seeing is not necessarily believing, right? In our culture, there's this phrase, seeing is believing. And I remember many years ago, we had our offices up in the front there uh, by the front counter, and uh, my office was up there too, and um, our projector had died, and there was somebody in our fellowship, and and I hate to admit this, but I'm just going to be transparent with you, and you can see how ugly I am. Uh, You knew that anyway. But anyway, the thing had died, and we didn't really have the money to replace it, and so somebody told me, that they would bring it in. They'd they'd buy a new one and bring it in. And for some reason, it may have just been a personality thing between me and the person, and my door was open, and Jeff just happened to be walking by, and I made the comment, yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. You know, like, and he he peeked in, and he goes, well, then it wouldn't be faith, would it? (laughs) And I'm like, I just kind of slunk back into my hole, you know? (laughs) And I felt really bad about that, and I probably didn't speak to him for a couple days because of my fear of him. But seeing is not necessarily believing because many people, including the religious leaders, they saw the miracles that Jesus did. But it didn't result in a saving faith, did it? They saw a lot and, and, and they can't deny it. They can't deny the miracle of these things. They saw it, but yet it didn't produce anything of a saving faith in them. But the Bible does say this, though, doesn't it? It says this in uh, Romans 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It is hearing the word of God that our faith is grounded not by what we see. I've heard this, and I don't know if it's true or not. Maybe if there's a doctor in the room, maybe they can confirm this. But I heard that one of the last senses that go before you die, the last one, is your hearing. Now, if that's true, I think that's very interesting. And no doubt, designed by an almighty God who knew that many people would be on their deathbed making a confession of faith or a profession of faith. Notice it's hearing. You could be blind as a bat, but yet your ears are still working because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's the word of God that brings faith when it is either when we either read it to ourselves and we're, when you read, do you hear yourself reading? You do, right? Or when you're, it's being spoken to you, you're hearing it audibly. Either way, you're receiving, your faith is being encouraged because you're hearing it for yourself, reading it, and you're also having it read to you or spoken to you. And so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What does it tell us in Hebrews 4 verse 12? The word of God is living. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Is God checking you out today? (laughs) He's always checking us out. And you know what? Like David said, and I think it's Psalm 51, I think, or 52. He said, you know, search me, O God. Search me, O God, and see if there's a wicked way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. David himself knew that as he as he read the scriptures, as he read the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 
As he read those things, he was being encouraged in his faith. But notice in verse 5, it says, Jesus said to uh, the messengers to take back to, to John, the blind see and the lame walk. Tell John that these things are happening. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So Jesus immediately points John to the Old Testament because that's all they had. They didn't have everything together like you and I did. And they didn't have it in a book either. They were all scrolls that were in the synagogues usually, unless you were very wealthy and you could provide your own scroll. So Jesus points him to the Old Testament, this prophet now who's in jail and frustrated and wondering what's going on. And he says, John, remember what the scripture says. The blind, <laughs> the blind you know, are, are seeing, the lepers are cleansed, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. And what scriptures was he pointing to? Certainly Isaiah 35, verse 6, verse 5 and 6. Isaiah, speaking of the time yet future to us in the millennial reign of Christ, what does it say? Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And then in Isaiah 61, he goes on and remember, Jesus read this in Luke chapter 4, remember? When he was in Nazareth, he went in and he opened up the scroll in front of all of these men in the synagogue, and he read from Isaiah this very passage. He said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he stops. Because the very next part is, and the day of vengeance of our God, because that hadn't come yet. When is that going to come? When Christ comes at his second coming. When he physically comes to the earth, then there's going to be vengeance. But not until then. Now he was on a rescue mission. So he tells John, John, remember what the scriptures say. And I am sure Jesus knew that that would be enough to encourage his disciple, to encourage him, just enough to know, okay, now I've got a root again. I, I, the root of that is in my heart, and now I know, thank you, Jesus, for reminding me, yes, you are the Messiah, you are the one. And doesn't Hebrews 10 tell us? It's also in Psalm 40, verse 7, but there's a phrase where it says, the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and let, let me quote Hebrews 10, verse 5 for you. The author writing, it says, Therefore, when he, speaking of Jesus, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. And then I said, behold, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. What is the volume of the book about? Who is it about? It's about Jesus. Every page, everything in here is about Jesus. The intent is to get you to Christ. The plan of redemption, all throughout this, it is a book of redemption. From beginning to end, man failed, God went on a rescue mission and saved them, and also uh, gave them the ability to be saved if they're willing, and also future events, and ultimately the salvation of Israel. And then the eternal resting place for the faithful the believing, 
the Christians, the believers, Jew and Gentile, the church, our eternal abode. So Jesus is encouraging his struggling disciple. Remember, John. And by Jesus saying that phrase, the lame walk, the, the, the deaf hear, the blind they see, and, and the dead are raised, John would know that's Isaiah. Of course. Thank you for the encouragement, Lord. That's all I needed. Now I can go. Whatever happens to me makes no difference. There was finally peace in John's heart. And it wouldn't be long after this that his head would be taken from his shoulders by an executioner because of some oath that an evil man had made in a seductive dance by his daughter-in-law. The blind see, the lame walk. And when did this happen? We know, just, I just did a quick survey of just a few verses. There's many more than this, but the blind receiving their sight. That happened in John chapter 9. The lame walking again, Matthew chapter 9. The lepers being cleansed, Matthew chapter 8. The deaf able to hear again, Mark 7. The dead raised up again. We know Lazarus in John chapter 11. And there are many other passages that we could have appended to that. But preaching the gospel is also something he did everywhere he went. And all of these things Jesus did while present on the earth, and it was also a foretaste of the kingdom of God during Christ's thousand-year reign, which we call the millennium, yet future to us, after the tribulation period, after Christ comes back with us to the earth. And then a thousand years on this earth. On this earth, do you understand? Global warming, global change, climate change. (laughs) Everyone's all tight about it. Hey, guess what? The Bible doesn't mention anything about it. There's going to be a climate change, but not like the way you think of it. Because when the new heavens and the new earth, or this, this current heavens and the earth, are going to dissolve in heat, then we can talk global warming. We can get Al Gore's book and say, there it is. No, it's not going to happen, folks. Don't worry about it. But these things are a foretaste of what we're going to see in the millennial kingdom. In the millennium. And notice in verse 6, back in our text, and blessed is he, Jesus said, who was not offended because of me. And Jesus wasn't upbraiding John. He was reminding them, reminding him. And, and the Greek word here is skandalizo, and it means to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom they ought to trust and obey. And he was just warning John, John, I know that what I'm going to share with you, you're going to get. But blessed is he who is not offended in me. And that will be good for his disciples who are carrying that message to John to remember as well that we ought not to abandon Christ for what we don't know. But think about the things that you do know about him. You might not understand everything in the big picture, and that's okay. Many people have died and gone to heaven and didn't understand many things about the nature of God and the nature of Jesus. They didn't study the Bible. Maybe they came to Christ later in life. They didn't have the opportunity, like you and I have right now, to, to dig into this and look into this. They didn't have the opportunity. And how blessed are we? Because this affects me now, today. It gives me peace in my heart to know that God's in control. But when I ultimately do take my ticket out of here, I know I'm going to be with him. 
you win both ways. My life is blessed now, and it's going to be really blessed after. Or I can live like a child of the devil now, and my life is like hell, and then I spend eternity in hell. What would you choose? I think I'm going to choose Jesus. (laughs) I think, right? I think I'm going to choose. Hey, he chose me. He chose you. Before I was even, you know, what would he say to Jeremiah? Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. Oh my gosh, you mean even before conception you knew me and you had a plan? Yeah, I did. Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? But John was faithful, struggling a little bit, but faithful. And serving Jesus in this life is not going to be easy. And the gospel that we have to offer is not going to be readily received either. Notice what it says in Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural man, the man apart from Christ, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Have you tried to read the Bible before you came to Christ? I did. I tried to, I, I had this desire. My, my grandma uh, up in Northport, Michigan, she had this uh, Gideon's Bible, you know, one of those little orange ones or, you know, surf-colored looking ones. And I had a desire to just sit down as a, you know, nine, ten-year-old boy and just read. And I was in the Genesis and I got bogged down in the genealogies. And I didn't understand. But the desire there was to read it. And I didn't understand it. But it wasn't until I was 24 years old that the Lord saved my soul then I started reading, and then, mind blown. Everything started coming out, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even contain this. I was so excited. I was in the senior year of my music degree at Stetson University, and I'm so surprised that I even passed because I wanted to switch majors. Lost my love for music completely at that time because I'm just like, I just want to know him. I want to get into the, I want to read. I want to get commentaries and Bible dictionaries. I was having a blast. I'm really surprised I graduated, but I did. But serving the Lord is a great joy, but we must never forget, like John is experiencing in the chapter we're looking at, because what did Paul tell Timothy, his young protege, in chapter 3, verse 12? Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Not might suffer persecution. No, if you're living godly in Christ Jesus... You shall suffer persecution. Now, how light or how heavy that persecution is is going to depend on a lot of things. The country you live in, the climate of the culture, the climate at your job, in your house, all those things are variables, but you'll be persecuted. People aren't going to like you because you're a believer in Christ. And you know what? I don't care if people don't like me because I know where I'm going. I'm going to spend maybe 70 years on this rock Maybe 80 years if I do really well. Maybe 90 if I take my vitamins. But you know what? When I leave here, I'm going to spend eternity with him. Somebody that I might meet for a couple years on this planet, do I really, I mean, I don't really, I don't mean to sound cruel or anything, but I I really don't care what they think. I'm not here to please them. I'm here to please one. And hopefully I can do that. Hopefully I can do that. Hopefully I can do it well. And I'm going to stumble along the way like we probably all do. But that's my heart's desire. Lord, I don't fear them. I fear you. I don't need to fear you in the mortal sense that, you know, you're somehow going to strike me and send me to hell. No, 
but I fear you because I don't want to disappoint you. You've done so much for me. I want to love you, and I want to give everything to you, and I want to make sure that everything is good. (laughs) Because I love you, I want to do that. And because you first love me, I didn't even love you when, you when you invaded my life. I didn't ask you to when you showed up on the scene and convicted my heart. Can anybody relate to that? He just kind of invaded my life. I didn't ask him, honestly. I was told what I was doing wrong and that I was going to burn in hell for it. <laughs> it scared me. I didn't want to go to hell. So guess what? I ran into the arms of Jesus. I would encourage you to do the same if you haven't already. Fear is not bad in the beginning, as long as it gets you to Christ. Amen? And Mark's gospel also tells us that, you know, it's not going to be an easy road either. Um, In Mark chapter 10, Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. But then he adds with persecutions. Uh, is that really in the Greek? <laughs> want to look up other trans- Is that really there with persecutions? <laughs> want to erase that part. I don't want to be persecuted. No, I just want to, I just got to edit that. I want to, you know, I scrub that out with my eraser because I don't want to hear about persecution. But if they did it to him, they're going to do it to us. In Romans 8, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I am persuaded, Paul says, that neither life, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, or powers, things present, things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any created created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that can separate you from God. And John is thinking, I'm in prison and it looks like this is going to be it for me, but you know what? Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can separate me from my eternal habitation. You can do what you want with this body, but Paul goes on and he says, furthermore, uh, I'm most, most glad, rather, to boast in my infirmities, he says in Second Corinthians 12. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong because of Christ. It's easy to get discouraged, especially when we are given setbacks. Have you had a setback in your life recently, like John did? Something set you right back. People are saying bad things about you behind your backs, even people in the church. You know, sometimes the most hurtful things happen in churches. It's been said that the church is the only army or group of people that shoots its own wounded. And we laugh at that, but it's true. Instead of building each other up, what, we, what do we end up doing? We end up saying hurtful things and having evil thoughts, comparing ourselves to each other. And, and instead of um, 
you know, encouraging somebody, we tear them down because right now I just don't feel that spiritual and this person is really on cloud nine and everything's about Jesus and everything is going great and I hate them. It's true. It happens. But isn't this the place that we should be encouraging one another, realizing that we're all in the same mess together? We've all got the same issues, the same things are happening to us, and how we respond to those things. Isn't it good for us to encourage one another in the Lord? Isn't it good for us to pray for one another and build each other up rather than tearing each other down? Who cares how long somebody's been spending time with the Lord, and, and maybe they're further down the line than you are, but you know what? We need to encourage each other nonetheless. Don't let those things, those little things get in the way, those little petty jealousies and petty things, well, she really doesn't look good in black and you know her hair you know and 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 the men do the same thing you know he you know he's just not a man he doesn't have a pickup truck i got a f350 got the antlers of a tyrannosaurus rex that i slew with my own hand in california and i cut his head off and i mounted it on the back of my f150 or 350 350, 450, whatever. But why do we do that? You know, we ought to love each other. The world will know that we are his disciples by the love that we have for one another, right? If we can hold together and be a, have unity in the body of Christ. So verse 7, he says, And as they departed... Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Many times there have been false prophets or zealots that would stir up the people in Israel and lead a base group of men to rebel against Rome. And John was certainly zealous, but he was not a false prophet. He wasn't walking in unbelief. But what did you go out to see? Verse 8, a man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. True men of God don't have, usually, fancy clothing and wealthy kings or benefactors that are bankrolling them. More often than not, it's just the opposite. More often than not, it's the opposite. And there's nothing wrong if you're a believer and you have nice things. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to feel guilty about that. That's just silly to think, you know, think of this. The patriarchs in the Old Testament, they were wealthy. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were very wealthy. They had large herds. From today's standards, they'd be very wealthy. But it didn't go to their head. They weren't buying Bugattis. They weren't buying, you know, uh, you know those fancy, you know, wristwatches made of gold. There's nothing wrong with that. If you've got one, that's great. Can I see it? No, just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Don't leave it laying around here. (laughs) The light will shine and hit everybody with it. But what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a prophet? And Jesus said, yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written. And here, notice again, what is Jesus doing? Pointing them to the Koran? Is he pointing them to Newsweek magazine, to Time magazine? Is he saying, go look at the link at Fox News. Go to CNN and check out this link. No, where does he go? He says, look and tell, I'm going to tell you where to go. Look at what I'm going to tell you. This is who he is. And he gives us Malachi. 
Behold, I send my messenger. This is John the Baptist, and he will prepare the way before me. So the prophet Malachi is speaking as like the Lord is speaking to him in the first person, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. Now this messenger of the covenant is different from the messenger that we looked up, my messenger. My messenger is John the Baptist, but this messenger of the covenant is more than likely the Lord himself. Two different people being spoken of here. But notice, Jesus is pointing back to the Old Testament, to the prophets. Who is this John? Who'd you go out to see? A a guy shaking in the wind, wearing soft clothing? No, this is he of whom it was written. Behold, I send my messenger, says. And then John was a herald, wasn't he? He was a town crier. That's why Isaiah 40 would say, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And what was John's ministry? Was it on the streets of New York? No, it was out in the desert where people had to go out to him out in the middle of the Jordan Valley where nobody was. That's where he was. Everybody came out to him. The voice, the the town crier. Assuredly, verse 11, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's a very interesting phrase, isn't it? Now, John's birth was miraculous because Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were both Levites. They were both old. She was way beyond her childbearing years. His birth was a miracle. It was foretold by God through the Old Testament prophets, some of who we just have already quoted. But he was a significant man in that regard. And this phrase, he who was least in the kingdom of heaven, Uh, being greater than John, seems to have a dispensational tone about it. There's a fancy word for you. A dispensational tone. What do I mean by that? Well, John was still in the Old Testament dispensation. Christ hadn't died yet. They were still under the Old Testament, where they would slay animals, excuse me, uh, to atone for, for their sins that they've done. That was the Old Testament. It it, it didn't put away sins, but it, it, it allowed them to be forgiven for their sin. But Jesus, once and for all, was sacrificed, once and for all, and that was finished. Now we believe in him, and all of our sins are forgiven and put away. He'll never look at them again. And that's the New Testament. That's a whole different dispensation. John was still living in the Old Testament era because Christ hadn't gone to the cross and died yet. Right? So John was still in the Old Testament dispensation, but Jesus compared him to those under the New Testament whose standing will be far superior because it's based on not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of Christ. And John only saw the mysteries of the church in the New Testament in a a shadow because it hadn't been realized yet and not completely understood. What did Paul tell us in Romans Chapter 16, he says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. So it was a mystery, the church. In the Old Testament, 
The church was a mystery. The prophets weren't even clear about it. They prophesied, but they're scratching their head going, you told me to say this, but I have no idea. And now, Paul's saying, now it's been revealed. It was now revealed. So for those in the church, in the New Testament dispensation, they are even greater than John. John was under the Old Testament. We're all going to the same place, by the way, but it's a, it's a position, position thing. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. John's ministry, obviously, was very pointed. It drew immediate opposition, not only by the religious leaders, but also by the Jews. John was violently taken, thrown into a dungeon, awaiting his execution. And the violent ones were Herod and the religious leaders who wanted a kingdom different from what Jesus was sharing. Jesus was going to give a kingdom that was going to be very different It wasn't going to be based on a bunch of good old boys with shotguns. It was going to be a a kingdom of peace based on the blood of Christ. It's going to be one based on grace and love. Not some kind of military coup to overthrow Rome and then we can stand up on the hill and say, we are the champions, no time for losers, right? That's not what it was about. It was about Christ's kingdom, not a military campaign, not just to overthrow somebody else, just to be the king of the mountain. For all the prophets, verse 13, and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah for who who is to come. Now this is going to be interesting because we know that Elijah had been taken by the Lord hundreds of years prior to this, the Old Testament prophet. Yes, he was taken in the Old Testament, remember, in a, in a whirlwind of fire up to heaven in a, in a chariot. But John the Baptist was the fulfillment of not only Malachi 3 that we have already read, um, but also he was... Um, In Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, the Lord prophesying through Malachi, long after Elijah had passed from the scene, so so this is speaking of something still yet future to us even, and this is what it says in Malachi 4, verse 5. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their father, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Malachi wrote this hundreds of years after Elijah had passed away. So he's clearly speaking of somebody yet. In Matthew 17, during the transfiguration, while Jesus was up on the mountain being transfigured, Jesus said this, Uh, sometime after John had already, John the Baptist had already been beheaded when Jesus said this on the Mount of Transfiguration. His disciples came to him and says, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said to them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood, verse 13, that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. If this is still a little confusing to you, we can look at what the angel Gabriel spoke to Zacharias. 
John's father in the temple while he was fulfilling his priestly duties. It tells us in Luke 1, the angel came to him and says, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, she's very old, by the way, she's going to bear a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And here is his purpose, for he will Be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Does that sound like Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6 that we just read? He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's interesting, isn't it? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So, in summary, what this is really happening here is, John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and Elijah, the Old Testament prophet who was taken up into heaven, may also be the one that it's spoken of that's going to come at the end. In in Revelation chapter 11, it tells us about two witnesses that are going to show up on the scene Somewhere midpoint of the tribulation period, they're going to witness to the world. Many believe that Elijah is going to be one of them, and maybe Moses being the other one. So Malachi 4, verse 5 and 6, that Elijah is going to come. So Elijah did come. That was John the Baptist in the spirit and the power of Elijah. But Malachi tells us that there's even a yet future thing of Elijah, but it's speaking of physically Elijah, the Old Testament prophet being resurrected and coming in the tribulation period, perhaps being one of those two witnesses before the great and coming dreadful day of the Lord. Because we know that when their ministry is fulfilled at that three and a half year, somewhere in that area, that the Antichrist is going to kill them. Their bodies are going to lay in the streets of Jerusalem, and CNN and Fox News are all going to be there. And then, after three days, three and a half days, they're going to be lifted up and resurrected. They're going to zoom out of here, and everyone's going to freak out. And rightly so. It's been put forth that if Israel, and and this is another interesting thing here, but I'm, I'm going to share it with you. It's been put forth that if Israel as a whole had accepted Jesus as the Messiah, that he would have set up the kingdom of heaven and those Old Testament prophets, prophecies that had spoken of, of John the Baptist would have been fulfilled through his life. Those, those Old Testament prophecies of Elijah would have been fulfilled if they would have accepted him. Remember when he rode in on the donkey? If they would have received him, He would have set up the kingdom, perhaps, right then. And so then, those prophecies of the Old Testament, John would have fulfilled them. But that didn't happen, did it? They rejected him, and now those prophecies of Elijah have a longer, um, longer into the future yet. And God knew this, of course. He knew that his son would be rejected. In fact, it was foretold a few thousand years in advance, several thousand years in advance. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. See Jesus speaking that. Remember in the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation, 
He always ended each one of those. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. There's something about that phrase. It's a little mysterious, isn't it? You gotta think about it. You gotta pray about it. You gotta look into the word of God about it. But verse 16, but to what shall I like in this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. Now the son of man comes eating and drinking and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. Isn't it true that we will never be satisfied with whatever God does, with whatever servant that God chooses to use. And God used someone like John the Baptist. Oh, he's got a demon. Then Jesus comes. He's a a glutton, and he drinks with tax collectors and sinners. He didn't drink to get drunk, of course, but he entertained those people with the intention of reaching them, right? Because they were sick, and they needed a physician, and Jesus is the great physician, right? They needed him, just like we need him today. Do you still need Jesus today? Even as a born-again believer for some time, do you still need Jesus? I still need him every single day. I'm like, Lord, help me today because I, I don't know what I'm doing. I need you in every area of my life. I need, to, I need, I need your heart, your thoughts. Didn't God say my thoughts, are, as, as far as the heaven is above the earth, so far are my thoughts above your thoughts, and so far are my ways above your ways. And like what Jesus was saying here, they didn't have any desire. Not interested. They weren't happy with Jesus. They weren't happy with John the Baptist. And they're not going to be happy with us either. But remember this, that the people of the world are not our enemies. This is where we have to be careful, church. Because as believers, we've got to put everything aside. And all it comes down to is what is your relationship with Christ? Put all the politics aside. Put all the things that we separate people into different containers. Throw all of those things away because everyone is going to stand at the bar of God. When we die, we're either going to go to heaven or we're going to go to hell. That's it. It doesn't matter whether you're Democrat, Republican, Independent. It doesn't matter what you are. If you believe in Christ, you're going to go to heaven If you have rejected him at your last breath, you will not go to heaven. He gives you the choice. And it's a a scary choice, isn't it? I don't know about you. I want to make sure that I'm on that boat going to heaven. And I'll do whatever I got to do. And you know, it's much simpler than you think. It's not about how much money you give to the church. By the way, there is our agape box back there. It's not, I'm only kidding. It's not about the money. It's not about what you do for God. It's about your relationship with him. That's all that matters. Everything else is going to be, who is Christ to you? Because that's the only thing we're going to hear when we take our last breath. And of course, the Lord knows our hearts. Many of you who are saved here, and hopefully all of us, when we die, we're going to be in his presence. But it's almost like he's standing there, and as soon as you're about to take your last breath, or when you do take your last breath, what have you done with my son? That's going to be the only question that matters. What have you done with my son? 
His name means God's salvation. Jesus, Jehovah Shua. Mary and Joseph called him Joshua. Get over here, Joshua. Jehovah Shua, God's salvation. If I've given you salvation and you've rejected it, there's no other hope for you. When somebody gives me a gift like that, I grab it and I run. Wouldn't you? If somebody comes up to you and hands you a gold bar and you're like trying to lift the thing up because it's so heavy and they hand it to you and they say, this is the gift to you. <laughs> you're going to run with it. The greatest gift above all that stuff is salvation because that lasts forever. All this stuff gets cankered. You sell it, you buy stuff and it perishes and it's gone. But eternity is forever, right? And if you're discouraged today, just like John the Baptist was, I want to encourage you to cry out to the Lord. Cry out to him because he loves you. He wants to meet you in your distress. He wants to meet you in your heartbrokenness. He wants to meet you in your confusion and your lack of understanding of things. He wants to meet you there and meet him there. And how do you do that? You meet him every day. How can a Christian survive when they only read their Bible when they come into uh, church on Sunday? It's something that you've got to feast on every single day and as often as you can. I would encourage you to whatever you're doing every day, rack it up. <laughs> Take more time. If you're only able to spend a half hour before you run out the door to work in the morning, see if you can get an hour in every day of just reading and praying and, and, and listening. And, and then outside of all that, what are you listening to? Are you listening to things that uphold you and, and encourage you? Those things matter. So I want to encourage you today to, to, to cry out to God. Cry out to him if you're an unbeliever and, and you don't, this is all new to you. Cry out to him and ask him, for, your forgiveness, ask him for, for forgiveness and receive him. Confess your sin and receive him. And if you've walked with him for some time, cry out to him and say, Lord, I need a better heart. I need a better understanding of things. I want to have a better understanding of your word. I want to understand what this crazy guy was talking about. I want to understand it. Dig. Find it. Aren't the things that are important worth digging for? If you give a coal miner or a, a guy who's in a diamond mine, you give him a pickaxe and he doesn't do anything with it, he's not going to find the treasure. But if you give him the, you give him the pickaxe and you say, there's a lot of diamonds in those hills... What is he going to do? If he's smart, he's going to go at it. He's going to find it. It's a treasure, isn't it? Don't you love Jesus? Isn't he wonderful to you? Even in your difficulties, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And he wants to spend more time with you. He wants to rid you of things that you know are just in the way. Will you do it? Will you allow him to do it? Let's stand together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. And we thank you, Lord, that you're a God who heals. You're a God who sees. Lord, you see things way beyond our physical. Lord, we can look at each other and we can't see what's happening inside. We can't see what's going on. We don't see the motives. We don't see any of those things. But Lord, when you look upon us, you see everything. as It's just manifest. It's very obvious to us. 
It's obvious to you, excuse me. And so, Lord, we, don't, we no longer have to hide from you, Lord. Help us to just be, to stand in the light and say, Lord, I am a filthy mess. And Lord, I've never received you. I've heard about these things. And Lord, this morning, I want to give my heart to you. Would you forgive me for my sins? Would you cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness? And if you believe that and you've uh, confessed that in your heart, welcome to the family of God. But even this morning, if you've walked with him and you're struggling still, and we all struggle, Lord, thank you that we're never completed until we're, I mean, we're completed, but we're not going to see the summation of it until we're with you. Until then, Lord, we've got a lot of hurdles, a lot of uphill battles, a lot of bumps and bruises ahead of us. Lord, in the process of all that, would you encourage our hearts? Would you satiate our hearts with your presence and help us to do the right things, Lord? Give us a new heart. Give me a new heart, Lord, and give my brothers and sisters a new heart, too, that we might honor you in all the things that we say, all the things that we do. And so, Lord, we give ourselves to you this morning, and we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.